Okay, good morning everybody. Good <clears throat> class. So we read, we read this week in the Perashah about the crossing of the sea. And it seems B'nai Israel come to the sea. And what happens when they get there? The, 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 the Egyptians are behind them. The sea is in front of them. They don't know what to do. Moshe starts to pray. And Hashem turns to Moshe and he says to Moshe, Matis ach alai. Why are you crying to me? He says, we don't see a mention that he prayed, but it's understood that Moshe was praying. And Hashem basically tells Moshe, this is not a time for praying. This is a time for going. You have to go, go forward. But what does that mean, go forward? The sea is still the sea. And the Pasuk says, B'nai Israel went into the sea, into the dry land. And the rabbis say, what do you mean they went into the sea? They went into the sea, into the dry land. I thought they went onto the dry land. I thought it was split. And the rabbis say, no, it wasn't split. Nachshon ben Aminadav, who was the head of the tribe of Yehuda, decides he's going to go. Moshe said, go. You know, lights, camera, action. Moshe, go. Nachshon starts to go. As he goes, he's in the water. He's up to his knees, there's still water. He's up to his waist, there's still water. He's up to his chest, there's still water. All of a sudden, he gets to, the, to his neck and his mouth, and the water splits. And it seems he had the faith to go in. And it reminds us of the story where Abraham and Yitzchak are going to the Akedah. And Satan is trying to stop them. And he presents the water in the same fashion. And eventually the water disappears. So I heard a crazy story yesterday that made me think of this whole idea of a movie. From a rabbi, his name is Shai Taub. He lives in L.A. He's a Kiruv rabbi, but he's, uh, because he's in the L.A. community, he's an expert in movies. He's, he, lo- he loves the cinema and he knows all about the cinema. So I imagine, you know, the scene at the sea, you know, lights, camera, action, go. And we talk about this, the idea of faith in the face of diversity. Or what are you going to do? The sea's not going. I'm going. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to go. And I was thinking also, you know, right now we're praying for the rabbi's wife, Hannah Bat uh, Sima Fega. And then also today, Rabbi Abadi is having uh, surgery. Eliyahu Shimon Ben Mazal Fortuna. Hashem should give both of them refuat So the rabbi says that he was invited to speak to Gilda's Club. Gilda's Club was named after Gilda Radner. She died of ovarian cancer. And it was started by her husband, Gene Wilder. He started this club where they would give support to cancer patients. And, and they raised a lot of money and they have chapters all over the world. And m- m- mostly it's social services. So they called this rabbi. It was 2005. They called him to speak. He says he just became a rabbi. He would speak anywhere someone hired him. He wanted to uh, get some exposure. And they said, Rabbi, we want you to speak about faith in the face of diversity. So he prepares his speech about, you know, everything Hashem does is for the good. And as he's driving there, he starts to think about the audience he's about to speak to. They're all people who are dealing with cancer. They're all people who are are having a tough time in their life. And what's he going to tell them? You know, everything Hashem does is for the good. I mean, he starts thinking, what an idiot I am. How am I going to be able to give this speech? And he says the thought only occurred to him as he was pulling into the parking lot. And he said, you know what? This is not going to work. I'm out of here. I can't do this. I'd rather just not show up. And what happens? As he's pulling the car in, the lady who runs the place opens the door and says, Oh, Rabbi, you're here. Good. We're, we're waiting for you. Come on in. Come on in. They're waiting for you. And now he says, Now what? I'm going to speak about that everything is for the good. What am I going to do? So as he's walking in, he starts to think to himself, What am I going to say? He decides he's going to begin his talk. And if at any point in the talk it doesn't sound good, it sounds bad, he's just going to stop, he's going to apologize, and he's going to end it there. It depends on how the people are going to receive it. And then as he's walking, he thinks he's relieved, and then he realizes, you know, I'm a rabbi, I have a beard, I have a hat. When they look at me, they don't look at me. 
if I say I'm the idiot, they're not going to look at me as the idiot. They're going to say Judaism and 3,000 years of Jewish uh, scholarship is, is ridiculous. How could this guy representing Judaism say this? So he says, now what? What am I going to do? So he decides he's going to make something up completely, something from scratch. And if he sees that he's offending people, he's going to stop. And then he's going to just say, I'm so sorry that I was sharing my own thoughts. I should have told you what Judaism says about the subject. And that way he, he avoids the Chilul Hashem. So he figures he'll throw himself under the bus and everything else will work. So he tells them that he was thinking about the French New Wave Cinema. And the, the French are very into examining the cinema. I thought about the comparison, like we take apart the, the Torah, each letter, each nekudah, each song note, each everything from the Torah, and we learn something from it. The French examine every single, uh, every single uh, thing in the cinema, every single part of the movie, uh, every, you know, what is it called, each of the, the scenes. They examine each scene and they go through it in detail and see what it is. So they study cinema, and there's the guy who's the, one of the most important of the French was a guy named Francois Truffaut. So they're all sitting together, and they have this symposium, and they ask Francois Truffaut, they say, who is the greatest director-author in the history of the cinema? Who do you feel? And he says to them, I could absolutely tell you that it was Alfred Hitchcock. So they ask him, why Alfred Hitchcock? And he answers them. And he says, in all of his career... And considering the hours and hours that he put on film onto the screen, we don't find a single wasted or unimportant shot. Everything that Alfred Hitchcock did was integral to what he was putting out. Every scene, every line was thought out. There is nothing extraneous at all. And this is what makes Alfred Hitchcock the best author director who ever worked in the industry. This is his opinion. So the rabbi said... I'm thinking to myself, I went to yeshiva, and in yeshiva they taught me how to have a deducing, to deduce things from other things. So I asked myself a question. Could I say as much for God in managing the story of the film of my life as this guy, Truffaut, could say about Alfred Hitchcock? If I consider that God is the one who made Alfred Hitchcock, and if everything he did in the film is perfect, how could I not say that God, everything he does in my film, is not perfect? So he continues, he says, I believe that God is directing my life. I have to understand this. He says, let me explain. It doesn't mean that everything in life is agreeable. He says that everything in life is pleasant and everything in life is perceived as good. But he says that also makes sense to me having studied film and looking at antagonist, protagonist, three-part structure, conflict resolution, and so on. He says it becomes obvious to me that a good story is not a good story when it only has good moments. One would say that that's a very bad story because nothing happens. Nobody, he says, ever threw a novel across the room and said it's horrible because the main character is trying to get something that he doesn't seem to be able to get. That's what makes a story a story. That's the page turner. And we wonder where he's going to get to. How is he going to get it? How is he going to get through this? And the more impossible it seems for the protagonist to achieve his goal and go through problem after problem and obstacle after obstacle until he achieves it, that's what makes a good story. He says, so is it possible for me to consider, although there are moments in my life that are unpleasant, there are moments in my life that are absolutely horrific, and yet if I'm looking at this as a story, it's not a bad story. God is not wasting my time. The Baal Shem Tov taught that everything we experience is some message from God. 
I like to recall what the rabbi says that one has to look at the world and say, the world, ha'olam nivra bishvili. The world was created for me. It means that I'm the main character in the movie. Everyone else is the supporting character. The Baal Shem Tov said, Hashem may have spoken to the prophets in words, but to us, it's through the things that we experience in our life. In school, we learn the lesson. We learn a lesson and then we take a test. In life, often, we take the test and it's up to us to draw the lesson from the test. In life, how do we learn? We call it sometimes the school of hard knocks. We discuss the idea of trial and error to figure things out. We don't wish upon anyone, and least of all, we don't wish upon ourselves that, that we shouldn't have, e- we want everyone to have an easy life. But I could understand, especially if I'm looking at this from a completely narrative stand, I can say, I get it. I can say that the director of my film is at least as good as Alfred Hitchcock was in his. And I realize at this point that if the people are going to be offended, I'm just going to tell them that this is my view. But Judaism says and you should have brought a better rabbi. And all of a sudden he says, I hear a booming voice. I see a little frail lady from the back of the room. She has a booming voice and she says, Rabbi, Rabbi. I have to say something. And he has no idea what this lady, and he said to him, he said in the story, he says, it looked like when she got up, she was going to like break. That's how frail she was. And she continues, I have to say something. And he says, my friends think that I'm crazy. The lady says, the lady says, the rabbi, my friends all think I'm crazy. When I tell them that I don't wish that I never got cancer. And when they hear that, they assume that I'm giving up. And I have to explain, no, I'm fighting this with everything I have. And with everything I have, I want to be cancer free and live. But at the same time, she says, I don't wish that I never had cancer. She said, we get into a loop and it seems like a silly semantic argument to them. On the one hand, I want to live a healthy and happy life. On the other hand, I don't wish that it never happened. This, she said, is very important idea to me. She said, because it's the first time that I have a way to communicate to my friends to properly tell them how I'm feeling. Until now, I never knew how to explain this paradox to them. Now it's very simple to explain. There is only one reason I wish I never got it. And the reason is because I did get it. I never, I, she, she, says, I, she says, what happens now, I can't retroactively wish that I never got it because that means I would be wishing for someone else's life. And I want to live my own life. In life, I'm looking forward to living. That's the future, but the past is the past. And that makes me who I am. To wish that this never happened would mean I would be wishing for some other life. And I don't want to live someone else's life. I want to live my life. And in an even louder voice, she says, I don't want to live someone else's story. I want to live my story. I want to try through my own story to, su- to survive, to succeed through my own challenges. She would say probably, she, he would say, the rabbi said after, he says, this was probably the most, the most powerful moment he experienced in his entire life. He said, this is what faith is. This is what trust in God is. This woman said, I don't want to live someone else's life. I don't want to live someone else's story. I want to live my life and triumph in it. This woman wanted to live. Wild animals, they want to survive. But in life, what do we want to do? We want to live. To want to live means to want your life, not someone else's life, some, not some alternative, imaginative life. Not, but I want to live the life that was, that, was, that was laid out for me. I want to live every aspect of the life. Just to finish, the Mekubalim say something, something very interesting. They say before we come to this world, we sit in the, in the court in heaven and we write the script of our own lives with God. 
We write this script in order to achieve what we need to achieve in this life and to fix what we came here to fix. Everything that we have in our life, we wrote that script. And when Hashem says, Abraham, Abraham, why is He saying it twice? Because Abraham, you are fulfilling the script that's written upstairs. Each of us is not supposed to be Abraham, not supposed to be Yitzchak, not supposed to be Yaakov. We're supposed to be us. We're supposed to fulfill our own script. To want to live means to face the perfection of perceived imperfection within our own lives. This is life, and we have to have the strength to do it. Baruch Adonai Olam, Amen, Amen.